teen study Bible I had in middle school. It was given to me by my mom, and I used it, but rarely. It was, I remember it had psychedelic colors on it, so like a lot of different colors and very 90s teen Bible, right? And it had little pages in between scripture with various things that teens should know. And I, and I enjoyed reading those. If I'm honest, sometimes more, I enjoyed those cool illustrations more than necessarily reading the scripture in between. I was in middle school, and though I had professed Christ at the age of six, I didn't, at this time, didn't have much interest in Christianity at all. I, I wanted to escape hell. Uh, I, had, I didn't want Jesus to come back before I could be married and have a family. And I liked Brooke at the time, the pastor's daughter, and I was more concerned about that than the D now that I was at. That's why I was there, because Brooke was there. So, And I, I wasn't really paying attention much to what the Bible study leaders had to say or were teaching. They discussed this passage that we're going to read today, particularly the one about the Laodicean church and how they were lukewarm and I kid you not, I began to be sick. I wasn't paying attention to what they were saying, so I didn't realize till later the irony of the moment. But I began to be sick all of a sudden, and I threw up on my teen study Bible and the floor of Vince and Tammy, our host home. Like projectile vomiting out of nowhere. Uh, which I pretty much gave up on impressing Brooke after that. So, <laughs> If I'm honest, I was lukewarm in my faith around that time, but God in his providence shortly afterwards, it was a time in my life where the Lord would deal with my sin and my uh, mediocrity and my apathy toward him, and the Lord would reinvigorate my walk with him. And everyone always remembered it. So I gave them a free illustration. They always remembered that passage of Scripture. Be neither hot nor cold or lukewarm, or I will spew you out of my mouth. They told me incessantly how they always remembered that passage of Scripture because of me. unholiness the unholiness that was in my life at the time and the, the way Jesus would spew out of his mouth those who were practicing unholiness correlate though that's not, I'm not telling you that's why I threw up it's not like God he used that moment in my life but it wasn't that moment per se I was more devastated than I was convicted about my, my lifestyle and my sin. I was devastated that I'd thrown up in front of everyone. 
And I was devastated. I missed, I missed laser tag. I couldn't go the next day to do laser tag, right? So I was so upset about that. I don't think I knew of the spiritual significance until later. So what is unholiness? Unholiness is the opposite of holiness. Real profound, right? You can write that one down, and you left today, you, under, you learned something. It's a joke. So. Holiness is, being, is set apart by God and devoted to Him especially. Unholiness is devoted to anything else. In this passage of Scripture, Revelation 3, 7 through 22, we have a story of two churches. One poor as the world deems poor, but rich in God's economy. The Philadelphian church. And one church with no need of anything this world can offer, but desperately needy for Jesus, though they did not understand it nor see it. In this we see three things that we can learn about Jesus in his dealings with people like this and his dealings with you and I. Would you join me in reading God's word? And if you're able to stand to honor his word, would you do that? We're going to begin in verse 7 of chapter 3. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the True One, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I've placed before you an open door that no one can close, because you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Because you've kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Thus says the Amen the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. I, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, 
and ointments to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my, on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We see three things in this passage that I think is very important for us to understand. It's not just important for us to understand about the, the Revelation churches, these two churches, the church in Philadelphia, the church in Laodicea. That's important, but it's important for us to realize these things for our own lives today. Things that you and I need to walk in today. Things that you and I need to grasp and understand for our lives today that we need to walk out of this room and understand these things and live in them and walk in them. You see, that's the beauty of the Word of God is not just about what will happen, but it is how what can happen in our lives can happen today. That Jesus, the name above every name, can be spoken over our lives and that we can live our lives under His leadership and under His authority and under His blessing and under His love. And I pray that we would do that today. I think the primary thing that we see in these two churches and the letters that Jesus writes to them is, number one, that he is holy. Jesus is holy. He is set apart by God. He is devoted to him. He gave his whole life to honor God, to honor the thing that God had put before him to do. And he reminds this Philadelphian church that he's the holy one not because they had done anything wrong. In fact, this church received no condemnation. They, they received no uh, you're doing this bad, it needs to be fixed. They, they received none of that. They were commended. It was because of who they faced and had held the line that God reminded them and Jesus reminded them that he's holy, he's set apart, he's perfect, and that they can continue to trust in him. You see, they were up against the line to what Jesus called the synagogue of Satan. It was a group of so-called Jewish people who were pushing, trying to lead these people astray, similar to what had happened in some of the other churches, maybe the Nicolaitans, maybe it was these other people who were pushing them away. And unlike the Sardis church, who Jesus said, you have a reputation of being alive, but you really are spiritually dead. This church looked physically dead, but was spiritually invigorated and alive. God was working in their midst and through them in all the things that they faced. And he wanted to remind them that he was holy, he was perfect, and he was true, and he was holding them, and he was holding the keys to the door that they were, that they were representing into all the world. He held the key of David, which just means the kingdom. It stands for the kingdom of God. 
He had those keys in his hands and he provides them a door, an open door, an open door for the world to see who Jesus was and holy from this seemingly weak, he said you have little power, this seemingly weak church. They were holding the line. You see, Philadelphia was a city that was positioned particularly so that it would be a missionary city for Greek culture, for the whole world to come. There was a major road that went right through it. It was a gateway city. It was created by man to be that for their own purposes, but God used it to be a gateway city, a missionary city for his gospel to go out, the open door of the gospel. And this church was holding the line, sharing the gospel, shining their light for all to see that Jesus is holy. He holds the keys to the door. He holds the keys to the kingdom. And people could walk through that door. And the Philadelphian church was holding the line. They were facing the whims of the day, the difficulties of the day, the, the, the ideas of the day, the, the faults of the day. They were facing them and holding strong. And Jesus was going to use them in a mighty and big way. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Though we may be in the small town of Lafayette, Georgia, I pray God would use this church to be an open door for the world to be changed through you and me. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I don't want to be a dead church. I don't want to be a part of a, a church in a moment we'll see that is lukewarm and ineffective. I want to see the gospel go forth no matter how small we are, no matter how difficult the things we face, no matter how tiny the town that we live in, no, no matter what, I think God can change the world through his church. And I think he can change it through you and I. Sold out to Jesus, the church of the open door. Jesus made them a missionary church so that others could be rescued and made holy as well. I love what Jesus says that they will inherit in the kingdom if they will conquer, the one who conquers. He says he'll give them a pillar, a pillar in his temple. This is significant because the Philadelphian people and the people in that region, in that area, they would honor the most valiant warriors by erecting pillars so that in their cities. So that, and they would erect them in the name of these people, these valiant warriors, these ones that conquered, these ones that went forth. So that when anyone walked into the town, that when anyone walked into these places, that they would see these pillars and they would say, Look at what faithfulness these people have. Look at what valor they have. Look at the things that they would do. And so Jesus says, If you will conquer, I will erect a pillar. And I will give you my name in the name of my city. And I will put it on you so that when people come into my temple in the New Jerusalem, they'll see the pillar for the Philadelphian church who was faithful to the end, who was faithful to go out in the name of Christ with might and power, trusting in Jesus, trusting his name and carrying his name for all to see. What a promise. What an exciting promise to say, yes, we're struggling against things today. We're going up against hard times today. 
But Jesus is erecting a, a pillar that will show his faithfulness in our lives and our willingness to sell ourselves out to him. And then in his temple, he will erect this pillar for all to see. And be able to see what they did. I, I want, I don't know if we'll get a pillar. It'd be cool. That'd be cool. I don't know. That's to the Philadelphian church, not Lafayette First Baptist. But I pray at the end of the day, when all this is said and done, that God would say, I found you faithful. I found you faithful to me and to what I've called you to do. And people tried to come in and lead you astray, but you stood your ground. And I used you as an open door that people could walk through to find life in me. That's what I hope, not only for myself, but for us, for this body of Christ, for this faith family, to one day that the Lord would say, look, I find you faithful. And shows others, look at what they did. Look how they used what I called them to. The second thing that we see in this, these two letters to these two churches is that Jesus deals seriously with the unholy. So Jesus is holy, and Jesus deals seriously with what is unholy. For this Philadelphian church, Jesus gives dire words for the folks that were coming up against them. He calls them the synagogue of Satan. These pervasive so-called Jews who successfully led the Sardis church astray. And Jesus also has clear words about the Laodicean church and their lack of holy living. So Laodicea was a, a unique place, a significant place as well. It was a place of great wealth. It was a, a place of great um, of, of, of great advancements even in medical technology there, there was so much there was a lot of banking there there was, there was this specific school where they developed salve for your eyes and for your ears that would truly help people to see and to hear and they were rich there it was unique because when calamity struck their town not long before this was written they didn't need the help of Rome to rebuild it. They were able to rebuild their city on their own because they had great wealth. They had affluence. They, they had a lot to themselves and for themselves. Laodicea was unique, and though it was rich, one thing it lacked was a significant water source. And so what they'd have to do is they'd have to pipe it in through the ancient aqueduct system from from Hierapolis to the north and from Colossae as well. And so uh, the thing about Hierapolis is it had this water uh, that, was, that came from these uh, warm springs. And has anybody in here been to Warm Springs, Georgia? and know the story of FDR and how we would go there. And we know that there's medicinal power, there's health power, there's healing power to these warm springs of the world. That was the case. It was the case for Hierapolis. They, they had this warm, these warm springs. And Colossae had cool, refreshing water. Had refreshing water. Each had a purpose. Each fulfilled its own thing. One was, had healing properties. The other was refreshing. 
But the problem is, is they would pipe these in and they would mix and it would become lukewarm water. Now the people that lived there, they would drink it and they got used to it. It's kind of like when people tell you if you're traveling anywhere that's another country, don't drink the water, right? Because they're used to it. There they can drink it, but you and I aren't used to it. And so when people would visit Laodicea from, from different places and they would drink the water, they would literally vomit. They would literally vomit. And Jesus is helping them to see. You see, they were weakened, just like the water was weakened. And their effectiveness. It says, you say, we have wealth and have no need of anything, is what Jesus acknowledged about this church. See, they had weakened as well, just like the water weakened, they had weakened. They were so affluent, they were so used to having whatever they needed, whenever they needed it. Medicinal salve for ears and eyes, wealth and banks and clothing and all these things they had available to them. But the church had weakened in its effectiveness like the water and they were in need of nothing. But Jesus clearly tells them, you think you need nothing. But he said, in actuality, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus didn't mince words. They thought that they were wealthy. They had everything available to them. And he even mentions that they are blind even though they have salve. Jesus told them that he, like the visitors to their city, vomited when they drank the lukewarm water. He too would vomit them because they were useful for nothing any longer. Jesus does, na- does not take our apathy and mediocrity lightly. He wants us to be like the Philadelphian church, full of life and vibrancy. He wants us devoted and set apart to his purposes. My prayer is that we would not be like the Laodicean church, ineffective and comfortable and, oh, well, we're good. We've got all that we need. We have no need for anything. You know, see, God used the Philadelphians and their need. They lived in a city that was near a volcano, and oftentimes they would have to evacuate for danger and have to come back. And because of that, the city was poor. And God used their, their little power. They, he used their poverty to do great things. When the Laodicean church was wealthy, powerful, and weak. May we be like the Philadelphian church. The third thing that we see here, and this is key, because yes, Jesus deals seriously with unholiness, but Jesus can make the unholy holy. We aren't without hope. No matter what we've done, maybe we are like the Philadelphian church or maybe we're like the Laodicean church. Regardless, Jesus can fix us, transform us, make us effective again, give us 
cool water to refresh or warm healing water. Again, he can make us hot and cold. Again, Jesus can make us effective again regardless because Jesus pursues. Jesus gives opportunity for the unholy to be made holy. He says to the Laodicean church, all right, you got all these banks. Stop buying from them. Buy from me. Get the gold from me. Get better gold from me than what the world has to offer you. Give, get better things from me. He says, you can get clothing from me again. You can get my eye salve, and I'll take away your blindness, he says. Stop buying from your affluent town and buy from me. What a word for the apathetic American church who is, 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 wrote, is ripe with affluence and has hardly any need. We fool ourselves thinking we can, if we just have a, a great presentation, if someone gets up here and speaks really well, then the church will thrive and, and do great, and it might be dead on the inside. We fool ourselves, but Jesus makes a way. Let us go to his stores and, and plunder his riches. Let us go to him so we can have our eyesight restored, so we can be revitalized and see him use us again and be effective in our community to show people that they can walk through the door of salvation. They can walk through the door that Jesus offers them. We see in this passage that he stands at the door of this church that closed their own door. You see, he opened the door in Philadelphia and says no one can close it, and the affluence of the Laodicean church closed the door and said, we're good, we're comfortable, we're fine in here. We have no need, we have no worry, we're safe, and that's all that matters. And Jesus says, behold, I stand at your door, at your closed door, and I say, I'm here again. I'll eat with you. I'll sup with you. I'll dine with you again. You can have my vitality again. You can buy from my stores again. You can buy from my riches again. You can have my righteousness again. You can have my holiness again and be made effective again. And so we must ask ourselves, will we invite him in? The, Jesus, this is about you. We speak your name over Lafayette. We speak your name on our families. We speak our, your name over all the ones who need you. We speak to them and show them a way to enter the door of Jesus who loves them, who's died for them and has given them a way to be made holy again. You see, Jesus tarries. Why? Jesus isn't coming back yet right now, right in this moment. He is coming back. But he's not coming back this moment. He's tarrying. Why? Because there are more who need to walk through the door. And guess what? It's our job to point them to the way. We are apathetic, and we are settling for mediocrity, and we as the American church are ineffective because we've forgotten what it's all about to be poor in Christ but be made rich in him 
to be poor as the world sees it, to be rich in Christ. And his promise, I'm not going to be able to talk for like three weeks, I think. If we, his promise is if we conquer, if the Laodicean church conquers, they'll sit with Jesus on his throne. Wow. What a word. As Jesus says, let anyone who has ears, listen, may our ears be ears that hear him today. Of what do we need to repent? Are we the church of the open door like the Philadelphian church? Or are we so dependent on ourselves and the world around us that we are really poor and naked and powerless? May Jesus clothe us and make us holy and effective again. Friends, you can know Jesus. You can walk through the open door today. I hope you see it. I hope you see that he makes the unrighteous things righteous. He makes unholy things holy, set apart, and devoted to him. May that be us today. May that be me today. May I no longer be like sixth grade Derek, concerned about all the worldly things around me. But may Jesus continually open my eyes and say, I give you sight so that you can see what matters truly, what matters most. My church mates, the students there, they were so kind to me. I'm talking about when I threw up on everybody, right? They're so kind to me. They bought me a new teen study Bible. I wish I still had it. I did order one last night because you can find it online, used. And, uh, and I'm, I'm excited about that because it reminds me of what Jesus has done in my life over the years. Can we just take a moment and remind ourselves of who he is, what he's done for us, and ask him, God, give us new sight. Make us clothed in white. Let us come and plunder the stores of your riches today. Both churches had the same Jesus and both churches had, had similar circumstances, a gateway city and then this rich city. But they chose differently. And so you and I must make a conscious decision. Who will we be? What will we believe? How will we walk in Christ? And so may he open our eyes today. Would you close your eyes, asking Jesus to open the eyes of your heart? Lord, we need to see you today. Would you show us yourself? If someone's here today and needs to trust you as Savior, Lord, give them the strength and courage to do that. Maybe it's online or maybe it's in this room. Work in our lives, God. Work in my life. Open my eyes, God. Give me eyes to see. And may I be effective for you. 
I love you, Jesus. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as you